And we're back. I'm Gervier Brahm here with Jamal Karsandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into Marvel's What If and Malignant. Folks, it's showtime. When I was young, something happened to me. Someone's saying that. Who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? He's back. In our first segment, we're going to talk light spoilers for Malignant, but if you want to skip around to a spoiler-filled review of Marvel's What If for the past two weeks, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. Chumba, I just want to, listen, we both watched Malignant together. I don't think we were yeah. planning on reviewing this as part of the podcast, but I just wanted to kind of talk about it because it's a really fucking weird movie. Yeah. And I feel like we should spend like five minutes just talking about it. Yeah, sure. Like, we've spoken about this in the past, right? Horror isn't my favorite genre. Absolutely. Wasn't too impressed by Candyman uh, from a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, Malignant did, for me, what Candyman failed to do, which was, it actually scared me a couple of times. Like, legitimately made me freak out, jump out of my seat, um, and just, you know, be fairly tense you know, at some points in the movie. It wasn't like a consistent hit, yeah. but there were definitely some moments, and I'll give it credit for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, it's weird because it's definitely going to... You can already tell it's going to be a polarizing movie. One way or another, either you're going to really hate it or you're really going to like it. I don't think there is going to be much middle ground only because it's such a unique concept. Like, I actually did... I, I thought it, the concept was so imaginative. I think the way it was shot was really tremendous. Especially, like, you can tell that James Wan, uh, he already has such a deep pedigree with horror coming off the conjuring coming off insidious but then he like pivoted and he's been doing aquaman and these dc movies so you can tell he's kind of grown as a filmmaker mm. and he brought some of that back to this genre because it didn't feel as as hokey as some of like the effects or like the the concept should be it, it still like came out really well i thought like like that kind of uh that, that kind of monster really like belongs in like a b monster movie but somehow it worked really well in this really weird horror movie. Yeah, I feel like there were two main takeaways from me after we'd wrapped up watching this movie. And the first thing is, I feel like hardcore horror genre fans are going to champion this movie. Yes. I feel like this is like, if you love horror movies, this is obviously right up your street. It plays up to like all the horror tropes that you're used to. Like the first two acts are like almost like, you just have to have patience. That, that like you're gonna watch something that's kind of you can already tell it's like it's playing with the idea of what you're really familiar with with horror movies. The payoff is the third act. Yeah. Right. It's completely like it, it's all build up up until that third act where you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Right. But it, it's it, it's almost like you have to tolerate, especially if you're not a horror fan, tolerating that first like the first two thirds of the movie. I don't know. It might be tough for for some people. Yeah. Um, so that was the first and the second thing, is I feel like. James Wan and the filmmakers in the studio behind Malignant, they've kind of created a fairly imaginative and new horror movie monster here. Yeah. It's, it's different. Feels like it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It feels like it's almost like, for me, when I was looking at the, the, the final version of this monster, on the one side, it kind of looked like the girl from The Ring, and on the other side, it kind of looked like the chest-bursting scene creature from Alien. Sure, yeah. And, like, they kind of melded them together, but it looked free, really, really cool. And, and the fact that, you know, by the end of the movie, you know, the horror monster technically lives on, yeah. um, I feel like there's, there's obviously opportunities there for sequels. Uh, but that aside, I'm already, I'm already picturing the merch 
and you know action figures and things of that nature just based on how iconic that monster is yeah it's a guaranteed cult classic movie like this is gonna have like like you said it's gonna have like a very specific fan base that's gonna be championing the hell out of this for years and years to come I think you'll really like it if you're into like weirdo horror movies yeah if you're not I, I think I don't know if this is gonna be right up your alley if I'm being completely honest but it's a solid concept I, I think it fits like that it's like the upper echelon of like those B movies yeah I, I'd, I'd kind of characterize it like that I didn't expect this to be the movie just walking in because again I don't watch trailers I literally just saw the poster and I, I saw James Wan so I had a certain expectation for James Wan but like he kind of delivered in a completely different way than I was expecting and this was a last-minute decision for us to watch this like we had no um, plan so we're gonna go to the movie theater this yeah. is what we're gonna review we kind of just like a last-minute decision on a Saturday night okay it's a horror movie screw it let's watch it let's see, yeah. let's see what this is all about yeah yeah exactly I think it's it's a super weird concept sometimes terrible dialogue sometimes really fun dialogue but like as hokey as it was and as weird as it was I, I was very into it mm. so I can't really hate on it too much and even like specific scenes like I really hated and liked that uh, the scene where uh, the character is basically killing all these cops and like all of a sudden this became like a Fast and Furious movie <laughs> yeah. right like the way like that thing was like killing everything I was right. just like wait where do where are we going right now yeah uh, but at the same time I was very into it I was very engaged but I think overall if you had uh, if, if you have a propensity to enjoy horror movies I think this is gonna be right up your alley it's better than Candyman in terms of it like I said for me if I'm gonna watch a horror movie and I do not watch horror movies religiously few and far between over the course of, of a calendar year if it's scaring me it's done its job and this scared me a few times so it's done its job star rating 2.5 all right i i went with like 2.25 okay. and it's funny because i did it i i feel like it's a lot around that same range as Candyman, because Candyman delivered in completely different ways right but not in horror yeah this one delivered more as a horror movie but uh it was very hokey in certain parts i don't want to completely Rewarded almost with with like a great star rating, so I, I feel like that's like a fair like a fair rating in the in the long run. I mean. Yeah, and maybe that's what James Wan and and the, the whole crew behind the scenes were going for here. Mm. I didn't recognize any of the actors they uh, from anything else I've seen before. Um, there were definitely some scenes that were like that looks a little bit weird, yeah. and then there were some scenes that were like really cool when they do that kind of that three hundred and sixty spinning camera angle, yeah. and you're kind of going in different time, and it's kind of weird, but it's, it's, it works. Yeah, I, I think like you're completely right. There was like there's stuff I can imagine becoming very iconic meme wise like, yeah. in, in a lot of stuff. Like even like when she's telling her sister when she's adopted, that little reaction shot, like <laughs> yes. when the the music just comes on, it's like oh, that was just so beautiful, it's so well done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think that's like a fair review of it. But mm. again, if if you're into horror movies, I think you'll actually enjoy it. Check it out. Go out your way. But uh, let's talk about what if. All right, last week we missed the episode of what if because we were talking about shang chi didn't want to overlord this week we got a little bit more time so uh one thing i want to do is just run through last week's episode mm. what if zombie yeah, wait what are you guys that's oh uh, that sort of seems like overkill i didn't want to skip this because i really enjoyed this episode such a fun episode such a mixed bag of like 
an anti-zombie task force. I never would have expected to put these this group together, but it works so perfectly. Oh my god, how much fun was this episode? And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Fun. Absolutely, yeah. Zombie movies are in. They've mm-hmm. kind of had their kind of peaks and valleys in terms of when they're in, in vogue and whatnot. Right now, they couldn't be more in fashion in terms of TV shows, Walking Dead. We've had zombie movies galore. And it's right up Marvel Street. Why not dip your feet into a territory and a genre where the whole show is like literally an, an open book. You can do whatever you want because yes. the show is called What If. And wow, I mean, I, this was so much fun. It was so entertaining. Um, if you're a fan of zombie movies and you're a fan of Marvel, oh my God, you're getting double doses here. It's fantastic. I, I not only do I completely agree, my only criticism is that I wish it was almost released closer to Halloween mm. so I could like enjoy it as part of my Halloween experience. Right. But uh, other than that, like the, the perfect use of Spider-Man. If that's one thing we can talk about, because I, this is exactly what I want from my Spider-Man. Like yeah. this is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but in a zombie world. It was perfect. It's like weird because he's like lived up to like that actualization of what I really hope for Spider-Man. Right. In a completely in a world that doesn't like really need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right. Like he's still got this this hope. Like no matter how bad life gets, you still have to be optimistic and this positive force through the world. That's what I want from Spider-Man. That's what I've always wanted. He's always been this beacon of hope. And of like childless, uh, childhood uh, optimism. Yeah, I love that about it. Yeah, and I think that was so well executed. I think more so here than like any of the Marvel movies or any of the other Spider-Man movies before that. To be honest, it was just it was that childlike wonderment was so transparent in, in his character. And also, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first time we've seen an animated version of this Spider-Man character in the Marvel Universe since they've owned Disney, right? Has, has Spider-Man appeared in any of the wife episodes? I don't uh, think he has. I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure no. Yeah, and that was fun. Yeah. That, was, that was interesting because I grew up on Spider-Man uh, cartoons. Mm-hmm. So seeing him back in animated version, but again, I know there's been a plethora of Spider-Man animated series from, for different, from different studios, but the, for the first time under the Marvel DC, uh, D- Disney Plus banner, I thought that was fantastic. And also, a lot of these episodes kind of go back to a specific point in a movie that we've already seen and then kind of said, hey, what if this happened instead of that? Yeah. It hasn't always worked, but in this on this occasion, I feel like it worked really, really well. I where think you have so. like Banner coming back uh, to Earth, crash landing, and all of a sudden it's a whole new world. I thought that was a great setup. I completely agree. Not only that, but I, I think what they've done really well with this What If series, and I think more so it's, it's really been demonstrated in this episode, is that they are choosing the people that they want to feature really prominently and they're making us almost enjoy them more through this Mm. what if series yeah as if to show like listen don't worry if you lose captain america don't worry if you lose iron man because we got all these other guys and look here's all the possibilities of what could happen if they weren't around and guess what we're still fine yeah like it's totally okay these stories are still going to keep going um and i feel like again they position spider-man really well another person i really think they position well low-key was uh, ant-man and his universe as someone who's more uh, again, prominent, but it lines up with that whole theory that we had when we were watching Loki, where Ant Man's going to be a very important part of, of the MCU going forward because of what we know is going to be intermingling with the Kang storyline yeah. going forward. Yeah. Not only that, but Ant Man is going to be like this really important piece of the puzzle going forward. And uh, again, another person that they, I feel like they were setting up as like almost on the other side as like a primo villain was Scarlet Witch, because they were establishing that look. She can be evil, even though she's a zombie, it's all good. Yeah. But when she is evil, she's a force to be reckoned with. You know, a really good, um, I guess, statement 
for uh, an episode of anything is it leaving you wanting more mm-hmm. and a lot of these what if episodes have kind of left you with a bit of a cliffhanger this is probably one of the best cliffhangers yes. ever yes. i mean you're literally on your way back to wakanda and you see thanos literally about to get the final stone the vision stone the mind stone to complete the infinity gauntlet but he's a zombie yeah. like what you tell me what does a zombie thanos with a completed infinity gauntlet do when he snaps his fingers yeah. what is going on there exactly now i want that version of the infinity gauntlet saga <laughs> yes. but i want it with zombie thanos <laughs> yes. because that's so much cooler he's everything but the mind stone like yeah. i don't even know where that story's going to go but i need to go there right that makes me want to continue watching this what if thing going forward for a minute yeah let's go into uh, some of these categories what yes. about best character for this episode I feel like that was tough because there's so many gangsters you know what it was tough but you know you've spoken about it already it was Spider-Man for me like he's just a fantastic character and I feel like the Tom Holland version in the movies has been my favorite incarnation of Spider-Man mm-hmm. in the live action uh, sense of the world but since I grew up on the animated series. I just love seeing... I think you could do more with Spider-Man, especially uh, as an animated cartoon. And I feel like he was the MVP up next to the Cloak Levitation in this episode. I agree. Uh, what about best scene? I think that's tougher. This was actually pretty tough. Because yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a... Honestly, I don't think you can go wrong with pretty much any scene. Yeah. I decided to go with Bucky uh, killing zombie Captain America. Slices him in half with the shield, but then the line... He, he actually you know says this is the end of the line yeah yeah kind of going back to you know all the other times where that kind of line's been said in a, a few different variations through the movies I thought that was fantastic yeah I that was definitely up there for me zombie cap versus Bucky zombie Wanda versus Hulk awesome yes like just now I have that like as like a possible fight that's gonna happen in the future going forward Ooh, when that actually happens that's yeah. gonna like in like the actual MCU that's going to be so much fun. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Also, the emotional scene with Hope and Spider-Man, again, because Spider-Man was my MVP for this episode, that little piece of dialogue of just demonstrating his optimism through all the pain that he's gone through yeah. was exactly what I want to hear from my superheroes, man. Like, that's like, everything that I think is corny through Captain America, I get, like, an authentic feeling from Spider-Man. I agree. And we kind of mentioned this while we were watching the episode, but anytime Ant-Man or the Wasp or anyone from the Ant-Man universe goes super-sized. It's so fantastic. Yeah. And to see a zombie version of Wasp, like, that's already large and, like, a giant-sized version, just, like, get up. Oh, my God, that was, like, iconic, man. I yeah. Love that. Yeah. Uh, what about star rating for this one? 4.5. This is this is a banger. This is, yeah. like, up there with one of the best episodes of What If This Season. I loved it. It left me wanting more. And man, I just really, really loved the world of the MCU clashing with the idea of zombies. A yeah. fantastic concept. I, I went with four only because it feels like this felt like a beginning of like a much more fun world. I really hope we get to explore more of. Mm-hmm. So I think four is on the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is up there with one of my favorite episodes of What If so far. Yeah. I can't wait. Now, since again, we're just hopped. That was from last week. Now let's hop into this week's episode. What if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? Power and end can be a very volatile force, cousin. It will get the best of you eventually, on your plane or on ours. All right, again, very different episode. Yeah. Completely different episode. Like, I obviously, I feel like as a fan base, we've been waiting to see more of Killmonger. I don't think we've gotten to see like a lot of him, even in in, in any capacity outside of the Black Panther movies. like yeah. I think we were hoping to get more of him in these What If series, 
but now we actually did get it delivered. What did you think? I really enjoyed this episode too. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as a zombie episode, and we were watching these back to back, which is, we haven't typically done that. It's just this is the first time we're watching two episodes back to back for the very first time. It's hard not to compare. Exactly, so you automatically go into comparison mode. Uh, I still really enjoyed it. But one thing we haven't actually talked about and mentioned, uh, and this kind of bridges both of these episodes, is Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther features in both, uh, more prominently in this episode featuring Killmonger. But I almost had to kind of um, pause and remember, this is the last time we're hearing his voice. This is the last time we're seeing his version of the character. Yes, it's an animated form, but he's featured in both of these episodes. And, and like I thought that was really, really cool and something to appreciate. But yeah, I thought this was great. Killmonger, one of the great characters, one of the, the all-time great performances from Michael B. Jordan during the MCU run. It's a shame that he's quote-unquote dead in the live-action version. He lives on in the world of What If?, and I feel like he's one of those characters people would love to see brought back in some way, shape, or form because he's a very, very entertaining, enthralling uh, villain. He's so different. Yeah, he is really different. I wonder if, like, he's he's such a dangerous X Factor mm. for whatever story he's a part of, right? And so it's fun to see him in pretty much any scenario because you know he's not going to play a very conventional role. Even this, like, he was playing that that meme, like, I'm, I'm, I play both sides so I always come out on top. Right. Like, he's always doing that. So it feels like it's somebody who's, uh, number one, it's, it's weird because he's a double agent, but he feels so authentic to himself. Right. He's really only serving himself. And that's kind of what I liked about this episode because it's the exact opposite of the zombie episode, right? Like the zombie one's based on hope, based on the best in people. This episode's built on greed, power, doing everything to get ahead, a story completely driven on vengeance. Yep. We didn't really see any of that from the last episode. Right, everyone's just trying to be the best person that they can be in the worst scenario. Yeah, this is to be in a rich position, and then to do everything bad that you could possibly do, double cross every single person at every single turn. How much more interesting of a character can Killmonger really be? Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's a good thing about the, you know the, the MCU. There are such a variety of villains, and there are so many levels to how villainous you can be. And I mm-hmm. feel like with Killmonger. He is so cerebral. Yeah. Like you said, he's a double agent. You just don't know when you can trust him, when you can't trust him. Even other villains can't trust him. Yeah. You know, he, he, he is like that level. And, you know, for the short amount of time we got him in one movie, he left such an indelible mark on the audience that you kind of like, he's a villain, but you want to see more of him. Yeah. Right? yeah. You want to see, you, not, not just uh, him and his character have an arc over one movie, you want to see his character have an arc in an, over an entire phase. That's the that's the uh, the mark of a great villain, I think, is the fact that yes, he's deplorable and all that kind of stuff. You should hate him; he's a bad guy, but you want more. Yeah, you just want to explore this character so much more. It's the same thing with like Joker and pretty much every other like villain that's regarded in such a high regard. I think Killmonger only because he has less of a platform because he's only in one movie. Yeah, I think had he been in more stuff, I think he his like stock would keep raising. If they bring him back into the Black Panther universe with Wakanda Forever, do you think that could actually work? That would be pretty tough. I, f- I feel like the, you know that that Black Panther movie is so iconic and it was such a, a big hit and made people feel so many ways about it. And I feel like his performance and the arc of Killmonger is so tied to Chadwick Boseman's performance as Black Panther. It's going to be so interesting. We've spoken about this in previous episodes. How do they move forward? What do they do next? Um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost, it almost is like Jack Nicholson 
and Heath Ledger's versions of the Joker one and done yeah. it's like it's one of the great performances one of the great villains in that universe and that's a, you just walk away on top and leave it alone it's kind of weird right because you're playing this balancing act with almost like you have to fan, like you have to play as fan service because uh, T'Challa Black Panther uh, Chadwick Boseman can't return yeah right so you you almost have to make people feel hopeful about this series going forward yeah somehow mm. but at the same time like bringing back a, a character like that who's so complex and obviously is very uh, driven by self-interest it's hard to just be like alright cool well let's just bring him back and see what happens like I, I don't think you could just turn him into a good guy especially after like seeing an episode like this and knowing what we know about him previously yeah it, it's hard to just if he were to just become a good guy, it would be like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel authentic to the character. This character has definitely gone beyond the point of no return, both yeah. in the live action and also in the anime. I think series. even more so because of this episode. Absolutely. You know the crazy thing about Killmonger? And I don't know if you feel the same way about the character like I do. I didn't grow up knowing what who Killmonger was. Sure. I had no idea about him as a character or a villain or anything. So my very first experience with the character was in the movie and I think that's the great thing about Marvel there are so many characters that I knew nothing about I didn't read the comics when I was growing up or anything like that and man there's such a depth to these characters and then when you marry that by picking the right actor in Michael yeah. B. Jordan and having that involved in a production as iconic as Black Panther man it's just a home run all the way around yeah I think the the filling up that void of what T'Challa leaves as a character for that universe is going to be like such a difficult task and yeah. I know they're gonna like they, they're they up for the challenge and like Ryan Coogler's incredible so I really think he'll figure something out but it seems like if anybody else was doing I'd be like oh, I don't think this is even a good idea let's just leave this all alone <laughs> you could even say that of all the ambitious projects that they have on the slate going into phase four that might be the most difficult of all of them for completely different reasons yeah, too like yeah. if you're talking about like going forward like obviously we have spider-man and doctor strange that's dealing with all the multiverse stuff yeah but like that's gonna be tough to kind of juggle just from, from a concept a, from a conceptual yeah, point of view right? exactly yeah. yeah and like even like thor you're kind of dealing with like all these different properties and you're trying to juggle them this is like sensitive yes. like you have to be really like cognizant of how you're uh, going to be impacting the fan base and how you're going to be leaving uh, like like the legacy of someone who just passed away not yeah. too long ago. You basically had to pivot because he passed away, and you just didn't want to lose momentum. So you just got to figure like this is the toughest balancing act that Marvel has to do. Also, um, I'm pretty sure I'm confident in saying this, but Black Panther was supposed to be one of the main characters to almost lead the Avengers and kind of lead that group post Captain America. Yeah. And now you don't have any many anymore, so what do you do next? And like I just said, like they are they're obviously using these cartoons to kind of position people in a certain way where we should like almost like value them more, see them as more prominent characters going forward. And that's really what you can see with T'Challa. Yeah. Featured in like four different episodes. I think three so far, meaning there's probably one left, but it's obviously very prominently featured, but there's no payoff, yeah. you know, obviously for circumstances they can't control, but it's just like that. What He would have obviously been a very important character going yeah. forward. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about best character for this episode. Who was it? I mean, it's, it's easy. It's Killmonger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, best scene? For me, um, and I think there's only a couple that you can really pick, but yeah. for me it was when Killmonger kills Tony Stark. Mm. And the reason I chose that is the episode is titled What If 
Killmonger rescued Tony Stark. So it's almost completing that arc, a mini arc within the overall episode. Is like he goes from saving him to killing him. Yeah, uh, Tony doesn't seem to survive any of these uh, what if episodes. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Does he? None of these. Like, and and yeah, I completely agree. I think that was the best. I think almost like if that's one A, one B was when Killmonger initially killed Rhodey and Black Panther. Mm. When when that happened, because I really did expect him to kind of be on our side almost. Yeah. And to see him just go and just kill Rhodey, it was just like whoa. Never mind. Like yeah. this is uh, this is a completely different story than I, I was anticipating. Uh, what about Star Rating? Gave this one a three point five. Still a solid episode of What If. Um, again, when you're watching, and again, what's going to be interesting about What If and how people consume it is like, are you watching week to week? Yeah. Are you perhaps busy one week and watching them back to back, or are you going to binge watch it all in one hit when the whole season is available? So for us to have watched the zombie episode and the Killmonger episode back to back. It was a, a, an automatic, we're going to compare the two, and for me, it was just a little bit level below the zombie episode, yeah. still very solid, and I would still recommend it. I completely agree. I actually went with the exact same star rating. I feel like we're pretty much in sync this whole episode today. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I want to see more. Like I'm, I'm still interested in Killmonger as a character, and I think if we're just going to explore him in the What If series, I'm still here for it. Yeah. Like I still think that's like a, it's a tremendous character, and uh, it's like the perfect way to use this as a medium going forward. Yeah. But yeah, let's. Uh, that's everything for what if. Again, uh, we're gonna be talking about these for the what the next four episodes remaining. So let's keep checking this world out. The reason I'm telling you all this is because I'm playing both sides, so that I always come out on top. So, with this information, I'm gonna leverage you guys into making me the head of security at the new Patty's Pub. Mm. Uh, okay, okay, a couple things right off the bat there, pal. Number one, um, never tell one side that you're playing both sides. All right, let's talk about the news, because there is some crazy movies that are coming out. Okay, let's right. do it. First one, obviously something we've been talking about for the entire duration of this entire podcast, Yes. was that Christopher Nolan has now landed in a new studio. All right, he's going to go with Universal for his new project, which will be a World War II film that focuses on the development of the atom bomb and one of its creators, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, Cillian Murphy is rumored to be involved. This would only be the second movie in 20 years that wouldn't be with Warner Bros. That's number one. Uh, the first being The Prestige, that was with Disney, and kind of with Interstellar, which was with Warner and Paramount. But uh, I want you to hear these demands. Actually, you know what? Let's just get that, that out of the way first. Sure. So you tell me, what are your thoughts on just Christopher Nolan landing at Universal and the movie that he's going to be working on going forward? Okay, first of all, I'm, I'm glad that he is back behind the camera making another movie. Because the last movie we got was Tenet. And I, like, he's one of like the best directors of his generation. So me personally, from a selfish point of view, I just constantly want him involved in projects. I constantly want him making a movie while he's got like one slate to be released, right? Yeah. Number two... He's clearly got a fascination with World War uh, era, uh, especially you know World War One, World War Two. This is, I believe, going to be his second um, movie set kind of in that kind of rough time period of the first couple of World Wars uh, in that early twentieth century. The concept of the atom bomb being created from a visual perspective, I feel like wow, you know, let's see where Nolan goes with this. Yeah, and let's not forget. He has worked with Cillian Murphy on a numerous number of occasions now. It feels like he's a, kind of one of one of his go-to guys. He's one of his guys, yeah. Right? And I, I like it when a director has a guy. Yeah. Right? Like, he doesn't have to have just one, but, like, if you have a roster, beautiful. Exactly. Love to see that. 
And finally, Universal. Okay, great. You know, it's another major studio. Um, I don't believe Universal by themselves are directly tied to any streaming platform. So they're the traditional studio in Hollywood that's going to give it a worldwide global release in the theaters. And I'm sure we're going to get into the list of demands. But man, Warner Brothers' loss is Universal's gain. They have got one of the goats as a part of their studio right now. So all credit in the world to them to get that deal done. Yeah, let's talk about those demands. So he is first... He is getting total creative control. That's number one. So he's getting $100 million for the budget for the movie and another $100 million as the marketing budget. Okay. Next, at least 100 days in theaters, 20% of first dollar gross, and the studio can't release another film for three weeks before or after his film. Wow. Listen, if you're Christopher Nolan and you have got that kind of stroke... Who else has this pull? That's what I'm saying. And maybe this is going to set a precedent. If there are other directors that are highly in demand, and they see what Nolan's done with Universal, maybe you're going to try and replicate that kind of situation. So all the credit in the, uh, in the world to him. And honestly, just given what's happened over the last, what, 18 months with streaming services, I'm like, give more power back to the creators. Give more power back to the filmmakers. So yeah, I'm all for that. If he's got the money he wanted, the creative control, and he knows that his movie is going to be released as he wants uh, without any more competition from it, from the studio directly themselves. Obviously, you're going to have competition from other studios, but in-house, what a, what a great deal for Chris That's Nolan. A, yeah, like really, he won in every way you could possibly win. Like yeah. anything that you would want as a director, he literally got like... You know, all the, the budget and all that kind of stuff is mm. great, but the fact that he has uh, total creative control, yeah. which is something I would have expected him to have in Warner Bros. anyways, right. and it feels like something that like really only a handful of directors are going to get, somebody like Tarantino or something like that, nobody else is going to get this. Like, I wonder like who are the, who's this next generation of filmmakers that are going to be able to demand mm. like uh, anything like this, like to, to this degree, is, is pretty incredible. I think it comes after time, right? I mean, Nolan at this stage, his resume is hit after hit after yeah. hit in a variety of different genres. Like, he can literally make a movie on anything and you're fairly confident it's going to be a hit at this stage. The crazy thing is, like, he's one of the few people, he has done a superhero movie, but it feels like it exists outside of, like, the current, uh, like, just the current landscape of superhero movies. Like, yeah. The Dark Knight, that whole series just feels like it doesn't exist in like what we're dealing with right now with all the Marvel and DC stuff that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a very unique project that kind of just came right before that. It almost was like timely. If you, if you, you know, retrospectively looking back, it almost feel like the Dark Knight series dropped at the perfect time. Yeah, had it been dropped, had it dropped now, I think it would have had, had to have turned into a universe. Right. Right? Um, but it feels like at this point that he's one of the few people that's going to be able to... Like, he has this very unique resume at this point, especially post-Dark Knight. Yeah. He, he's done, like, literally whatever concepts he wants, whatever wild thoughts he has. I think he just does mushrooms and just sits there and <laughs> thinks, like, oh, like, time is, like, this this weird concept. Like, let's just talk about it like this. And he yeah. makes a whole movie about it. But, man, like, there's nobody else that has the pull like him. Him and his brother Jonathan Nolan, these guys, some of the concepts, like... His brother's been working on Westworld now for, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. like, these guys are so intelligent. They're so smart. They are so creative. They are clearly science fiction heads. And that is clear and evident in the majority of their work. Yeah. Uh, so for this movie, production begins in early 2022. So let's hope to see it like, what, 2023, hopefully? Yeah, or maybe by the end of next year. I mean, if it's going to be a bit, you know, World War II based about the atomic bomb, I mean, given the, the turnaround time, could it be released in time for award season? Listen, the, the craziest thing is knowing what Nolan does in terms of practical effects, what's he going to do with an atom bomb? Mm. 
That's going to be... That's a great shout. That's going to be wild. That's a great shout. That is going to be wild. Uh, next, let's talk about the Batman. We're still talking about the Batman, but now upcoming with uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman spinoff, there is going to be a spinoff series from that, which is based on The Penguin, which is in development for HBO Max. So it's going to be a series by itself, purely about that. I remember seeing a news story a few weeks ago about how The Penguin's really on this movie for like five minutes. Mm. So I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, based on the trailer, it feels like the main villain is going to be the Riddler, mm. just based on that kind of envelope scene from the trailer. And if the Penguin's going to be involved in, a, in a, you know, some capacity, but not, not a lot of screen time, we talked about how the Batman universe should be left alone in its own. There are, there's so much to play with. Yeah. And I'm actually interested in living in that world and spinning off into shows, much like how... Disney has done with its Disney Plus shows with the MCU. Yeah, let's let's do something with the Penguin and other characters from the world of the Batman. And so, yeah, I'm all for that. My hope is that the Penguin is like almost like a Tony Soprano, like just living in that world kind of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in Gotham where he's just the mob boss and like, I would love to see that because yeah. that would be a lot of fun. Like just the supernatural element of uh, superheroes, but like you know mafia infused in in just like a very dark film noir kind of world like, yeah that sounds like a lot of fun to me the one thing i will say is that and so many other projects is so contingent on the batman being critically and commercially successful sure let's not forget disney plus disney marvel marvel studios they built a decade's worth of investment from their movies before they ventured into a TV show on a streaming platform. Yeah. It feels like everything on the DC side has to be expedited just to kind of keep up to pace with yeah. what Marvel is doing. They're playing catch up. And so to release a brand new movie with a brand new Batman and everything else can be brand new for the first time, kicking off with the Robert Pattinson version of this character. And then on top of that, hey, we've got a TV show based upon one of the other villains that we're going to give you for five minutes. That feels like a bit of a gamble, but hopefully if the movie's good, then you've got the investment ready to go. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm still interested in this. Yeah. Uh, next, we got Twins is finally getting a sequel. All right, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but Triplets is in development. Yeah. It is going to be Arnold returning, and it's going to be Danny DeVito returning, and a third and long-lost sibling with Tracy Morgan. Okay. As the lost baby yeah. in, in that whole story that was, I guess, not told entirely. Yeah. So uh, I'm really... I, I mean, personally, I love Tracy Morgan. Right. I watch 30 Rock. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think Tracy Morgan is one of the funniest people that's ever existed. Right. That dude is hilarious. If anybody can contribute, especially like with the growth of what Danny DeVito's become in the past like 10, 15 years with us all of a sudden in Philadelphia, this could be a really funny movie, man. Listen, I was a big fan and I'm still a big fan of the original Twins. And I think people forget like when Arnold Schwarzenegger was on his run as like the premier action movie blockbuster star, he would also have a string of hits when it comes to comedies. Mm -hmm. Junior, Kindergarten Cop, Twins, and this goes on and on. I have been reading about the twin sequel being in development for, I think, maybe a decade. Yeah. I've heard about triplets for a long time. And I know a while back, Eddie Murphy was originally attached to this project. So, listen, Tracy Morgan, why not? And I'm, I'm, I'm down for Arnold at this stage of his career and also Danny DeVito to dip into a project that has some history. And they're obviously a little bit older. But it's not an action movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like Arnold hasn't really done any comedy for such a long time. And, you know, he had some hits. So we know he's capable of it. And with this new kind of idea of being a, a third long-lost brother, 
being a black man and Tracy Morgan, yeah. let's do it. Let's, let's do it. I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of fun. And like, it, it, honestly, if it were me, in 2021, I'm probably picking Tracy Morgan over Eddie Murphy in the first place. Right, right. And I love Eddie Murphy, but I think Tracy Morgan is just like one of those guys that like is just so naturally funny. I think he would play off really well with both those guys. Sure. Especially Dan DeVito. But yeah, that's everything for the news this week. Gentlemen, let's get into our last segment, Let's Get Wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. Like if you walked into a blockbuster, you saw Randy's pick, you see Chet's pick. What is Sandu's pick this week? Okay, so a while back I recommended everyone to check out Netflix's sports documentary series called Untold. I finally got around to watching one of the other episodes in that series called Crime and Penalties. It's basically about a team that was bought by a man, a hockey team, sorry, a hockey team that was bought by a man with mob ties and the GM was his 17-year-old son. And this, oh God, this documentary is fascinating because I know nothing about hockey. I have not followed hockey at all. But this, this episode has pro wrestling involved. It apparently inspired The Sopranos. It's got the mob involved, the FBI. It's a true story. It's fantastic. It's based on the, the Danbury trashes that were essentially involved in the UHL, which is essentially one of the junior hockey, hockey leagues but beneath the NHL. And um, it's one of the most riveting, fascinating, interesting sports documentaries that I've seen this year, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I really loved what they did with the Pacers versus uh, Pistons, so I'm going to definitely check that one out. Uh, for me, I actually went with a horror movie, only because we talked about Malignant. Yeah. My thought process is, if you did like Malignant, you know, congrats. Like, you, you got a great new movie. I think uh, if you didn't, I'm going to recommend something that might be more along your lines. Uh, I'm going with 2016's Hush. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, but if it flew under the radar for you, it's directed by Mike Flanagan. It's a, it's a much more... I would say it's a little bit more of a uh, realistic kind of horror movie and like something that you can actually experience in real life. And I think if that's something that scares you more, I think this is more up your alley. It's probably closer to A Quiet Place than it is to Malignant, right? And just in terms of concept as well. But it's really well done, really well executed. It's a scary movie. It makes you feel that suspense like you're like I'm always craving in a horror movie. Again, check it out. 2016's Hush. But uh, that's the show for this week, guys. Uh, John, where can anybody find us? Okay, we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen on the Apple Podcast platform, please do us a favor, rate and review us. If you do that, it goes a long way. That's how shows get found and get promoted on the Apple Podcast platform. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.